0: everyone we're back to the neil haley show and also the media giant effect i'm here with my co-host alan porter from strategic wealth strategies alan how are you and i know you're excited about our guest i mean this guy is just blows me away what he's able to talk about with the bible and just all his other research and different books he's written i know you're excited about our guest Alan.
1: always 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 excited about learning about new people and what they do and and neil you you've introduced me some great people with great ideas and, and great accomplishments Jean-Pierre, it's an honor to
0: meet you today.
2: Yes, thank you.
0: So Jean-Pierre Isbouts is on the show. Jean-Pierre, you did a radio tour interview with me uh, about one of your other projects, but it's amazing. Again, you're a National Geographic historian and the co-author of mapping america the incredible story and stunning hand and has stun, and st- stunning hand colored maps and engravings that created the united states uh, john pierre it's an, another type of project right compared to some of the other projects that you've done before a little different than other books you've written things like that it's are you stepping a little bit out of the box a little bit you'd say
2: a little bit yeah what happened is i met a, a wonderful man neil asbury in florida Neil is actually uh, one of the largest, has one of the largest collections of private maps, um, of uh, beautiful hand-colored maps, that, all the way from the Renaissance through the 18th century of America, from the very earliest maps where you see the America just as a little sliver, you know, on the outside of the of the globe to uh, the beautiful maps of the 16th and 17th centuries, and and we got together, and me as a National Geographic historian and he with his beautiful collection of maps, we said, you know, what we should do is, is tell the story of how America came about, but in a way that has never been done before. You know, people always say, well, you're in the American Revolutionary War there are no pictures, there's no video, there's no CNN coverage (laughs) of that show. But what people forget is that we have these beautiful maps that really trace the origins of the United States from the very earliest days of the colonies through the Revolutionary War, through the integration of the colonies into the United States. So let's tell the story of how our great, great nation came about. And and it's it's needed today because we we are so divided, you know. Neil and Alan, you know that we we're very divided, you know, and left and right, progressive and conservative. But but this is a book that that just reminds everyone that at the end of the day, we're, we're we're all Americans, you know. We we share this this incredible heritage of an experiment in in creating a nation guided by the principles of the Enlightenment. Uh, with respect for human rights, respect for freedom. Let's talk about that story because it's an incredible story and use that, use the maps to illustrate it. So that's why we did Mapping America.
1: That's that's an amazing way to, to bring the country together. I've never really quite, quite uh, heard of that way. But you know, the other night I'm watching, uh, I think it was a National Ge- Geographic special or whatever, the making of the Grand Canyon. And it's just amazing, uh, the natural beauties that we have in the United States, between the Grand Canyon, the coast, the mountains, everything.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, the first explorers, they were amazed what they saw. here was this land with so many different contrasts, deep valleys, big rivers, coming from Europe, where everything is very small scale. Uh, where there are so many national boundaries and people always at each other's throats, you know, particularly in the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries, all these wars. Here was a, a terra incognita. Here was a whole new canvas to begin the human story. And I think that's what appealed to so many people in those days. So
0: what did you learn from doing this
2: book regarding maps that you did not know? Well, there are are many things that Neil taught me about. I was writing the story, but Neil, of course, brought in his incredible expertise with regards to these hand-colored maps. And one thing I was not aware of is how knowledge about the Americas grew slowly and slowly. The more the ships, of course, were able to navigate the coastline, Uh, You know, the very first maps are very primitive. You know, they sort of draw artificially. Well, we think America looks like this. But of course, it has no bearing to reality. And then the more and more you got, these ships came back with stories. You know, most of the map makers were in Holland. Holland was a major seafaring nation in the 17th century, became a major center of map making. The same is true for Germany. Same is true for France. And when these, these ships, they would pull in, uh, with our cargo from the New World, and and right there on the harbor front, were map makers saying, "Hey, hey, hey! Tell me, is there any any new information? You know, any new data? We would call it today, any new intelligence." And uh, so you see how, over the years, these maps slowly begin to f- to assume the shape of the United States that we know today. Even though, of course, still much of the West remained unknown, and I think. Uh, we do that in, in the book. We we you know we have these gorgeous color maps, and I'm so grateful to Apollo, the publisher of this book, that the whole book is actually in color. So uh, it's filled with these beautiful colored maps. Oh wow! Not only of the United States, but also the battle maps uh, when the war actually erupted. You know, you had a situation where the British would quickly sketch. Uh, the disposition of the armies on a piece of paper it would be rushed by schooner to London where people were waiting to engrave those maps for his majesty and then George III got the maps on his breakfast table and that's how he made his his, his decisions about how to conduct this war. So, So maps played a pivotal role in that story. Wow.
1: It, uh, yeah. it, it amazes me. I also I also watch a lot of history, but I'm watching the Vikings now and how they over there. They had all these, uh, you know, the lords and the tribes and everything. They go from one one kingdom to the other and how they define where they're at. Uh, I, I don't have any idea how you guys how the map makers work that do this. But other until they got satellites, how could it be ever accurate? But they were.
2: Yeah, that's that's truly amazing. Well, there were some instruments that they used, of course, and uh, not only to get across the ocean. Uh, you know, the the compass. Uh, Columbus used a very simple compass, but over time, very sophisticated instruments were developed. So, but you could sail by the stars. At the same time, measurements were developed through the the Enlightenment, and we talk about the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period in Europe. European history, particularly the 17th and 18th centuries, because it was because of the sciences that were developed in those years that immediately had a bearing on the exploration of America. America could not have happened were it not for the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. And we make that point very, very strongly, not just in a, you know, in a political sense in terms of Montesquieu, uh, la loi, the, the laws that which were ultimately found their way into the constitution, but also into the scientific exploration. And uh, th- there's one story, if I may tell, sure. for a moment, uh, which is which really blew me away. That <laughs> is that you know those uh, when the uh, of course when the American Revolutionary War erupted and Amer- and the British sent the expeditionary force to the United States to suppress. The the revolution, you know, these British officers they were used to seeing maps of of the of Great Britain, right? With the scale with the scale of Great Britain, which is a fairly small country compared to Europe, and certainly compared to the United States, and so when they arrived at the shores of America, and they they were given these maps made by local craftsmen of Connecticut and of New England and all these other territories, they psychologically translated their expectation of scale to these maps. And so they really thought they they could suppress the American Revolution with just 40,000 people, but 40,000 soldiers. And uh, that's one of the reasons why it failed for them because they had no idea of the incredible distances that they had to travel with, of course, the baggage train and food and forage for horses and all that other stuff. So one of the reasons why the British attempt to suppress the colonies failed was because they, they could not translate the scale of the maps that they had into reality. They just couldn't oh, imagine goodness. that America was so large.
0: I find it fascinating you look at maps in certain ways of the evolution of them and how people were able to at that time period, because there's no Google Earth observation or anything to be able to say this is what it looked like. And especially when these are territories in the book, we'll learn more and more about that. These are territories and didn't even become states yet. How people were able to create it once it was discovered in some places were just land. Right. There was, no, there was no houses, there was nothing. It was just complete marsh or different things depending on the scale of the United States. So it really teaches us to understand. At one point, it was just wilderness, right? In specific states and things no. like
2: that. And, of course, the, the, along the eastern seaboard, things became uh, colonized. And, you know, th- that was one of the, the, the big differences. And I should make that point as well between the uh, Spanish exploration. Spain was very active as well. And, and that of England, in that the English and later the Dutch and the Germans and the French, they came to the United States to settle they weren't necessarily out to exploit the local resources. They wanted to live here. They actually built communities, little villages, Jamestown. And slowly these grow into towns. And from towns, they became became real, real colonial states. The Spanish weren't interested in that. Other than a few missions, they were out to exploit, to take the resources out, particularly gold and silver and tin. And this is what you see in South America, where where the Spanish had some settlements along the coastline, but they never went into the interior. And if they did, it was purely on, a, on an expeditionary basis to pull out the resources and to enslave the local Indian populations. And of course, there are terrible stories of how vast communities, uh, the Incas, the Aztecs, perished. Uh, not so much by the sword but because of the illnesses the smallpox among others that were introduced by the Europeans in the interior whereas whereas in the north and North America uh, the idea was we're, we're, we're planting our tent here we here to stay we're going to work our way through we're gonna we're gonna find a modus Vivendi with the Indians that that are here in North America and there were many many Uh, very powerful Indian tribes. And and so they try to barter with them, trade with them, live with them in peaceful coexistence. And so the contrast between North and South America is is extremely strong in that regard.
1: Well, know what you're talking about, uh, I applaud you for that because what you're doing, you're talking about education, trying to bring people together. And I kind of equate it to my business. I'm a financial advisor. But I'm different than probably 95% to 99% of the people out there. Wouldn't you agree, Neil?
0: Yeah, definitely. He's, I was and just have, some the stuff I learned. Yeah.
1: Just as an example, I just did a uh, a podcast here, I don't know, a week or two ago about how to retire like a millionaire on two thirds of the assets. Now, I do stocks and bond portfolios, but you can have a million dollars in the stock portfolio, but you'd only need to have $650,000 in a certain index fixed index annuity to give you the same amount of money that you would from a million dollar stock portfolio in that annuity, it's guaranteed for life. And these are things that people don't understand. I want people to think outside the box. And just like what you're talking about, thinking outside the box, finding out what's going on and educating people on things.
2: Absolutely, and and the colonists thought uh, outside the box. And you know the, 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 the sad thing was that the good relations between the American colonists and, uh, and the Indians fell apart because back in in uh, europe the french and the british were at each other's throats right and so eventually that had to somehow come over to the american continent and then the french and the british st- started to fight and the indians you know chose a side and that and it became a big mess it was a very expensive war and because ultimately the british prevailed but because of the expense of that french and british right. war george the and his uh, officials said you know we're going to have to tax the british colonists in america more because they have to help fund their protection you know just Alan, as you say you know ultimately the the money has to come from somewhere yeah. and, and this idea of taxation without representation is what created the american uh, revolutionary war so hey wait a minute we're here. We're, we're working hard. We're we're you know creating an existence, and we're trading with the mother country. We're giving you lots of good stuff. Now you want us to tax on top of the hard work we have to do just to stay alive, and uh, and that of course is what created the American Revolutionary War.
0: And too bad the tax system today. Sometimes it's up to whoever believes in the tax system or not. But Alan helps us in those ways. But like when I jump here, when I think about things. When we're talking about why is it that let's just look at North America alone, why the United States and North America did such a great job of colonization that's created this huge, amazing country versus, let's say, the continent of Africa and the colonization the British did there. What made them fail so much more than had success if you would rank the success of the French, uh, Spanish and uh, and the English in the United States versus the colonization of Africa?
2: Well, uh, that's a very good question. I I did a book uh, last year called The Ultimate Visual History of the the World. And it was (laughs) sort of a crazy, crazy attempt to write a book about the history of humankind. But in it, I I addressed uh, colonization and the 19th century colonial period. And the fact of the matter is there where the European colonists were just out to exploit the territory, such as the Dutch in the East Indies and the French in andochine in Southeast Asia, where it was just a matter of getting what you could get your hands on and take the riches, the assets out of the nation and bring them back to the mother country. That's where colonization ultimately failed. I mean, when the Japanese came in during World War II into andochine into Southeast Asia, they were literally received as liberators as liberators. And it's different to some extent with English colonization, because, of course, colonization is always a bad thing. But at least in India, the British tried to really improve the lot of the average people. They built hospitals. They built institutes to develop uh, vaccines against uh, tropical diseases. They built railroads. They built communities, uh, and of course, there was an over—you uh, know—there was armies, and people were suppressed, and there was no freedom of speech in such a, such a way. But the the fate of the people, of the Indian people during the uh, the great era of the Raj, was definitely improved. Life life expectancy improved, literacy rates improved, and so when you see. When, when you try to do that, when you establish yourself in a new territory, but you try to make life better, including for the natives who live there through trade, by peaceful trade and peaceful bartering, then you see that um, colonization can have a very good outcome. And in fact, uh, that's what happened in America where we ultimately stayed. Now, of course, in the 19th century, we had terrible wars. We, uh, um, during and after the Civil War, Uh, The American army created lots of havoc among the Indian tribes, but that was not yet the case in the 18th century in the American Revolutionary War when the British colonists needed the Indians on their side, uh, not only militarily, but also in terms of of getting the national foodstuffs for them to to stay uh, in place. So I think that's the answer to your question. It's how do you approach the colonization of the territory? Mm. If you're out there to really make life better for everyone, then chances are that you survive. So imagine
0: what's the colonization is going to be for space. That's coming soon. Be ready, everyone. How's that going to be handled when space travel happens, which is happening now, but space tourism. And think about the colonization of another planet. It's happening. It will be happening soon. Be ready. And an expert like you, Jean-Pierre, will have to be the one that kind of say history cannot repeat itself again. And if you watch sci-fi, sci-fi is going to be the truth. And it starts with Web 3.0. All right, Alan, anything else to add? Ask one more question for Jean-Pierre.
1: Well, not really. I mean, you've totally impressed me, Jean-Pierre, with your outlook on life and what you want to accomplish. and, And I applaud you
0: for
2: it. Thank you so much, Alan.
0: And so, Jean-Pierre, where can we purchase the book? I'm going to have it in all the links and different places for people to go ahead, go right to Amazon. But is there is there another place you'd like to direct them?
2: Well, no, of course, your local bookstore, we should never forget our, forget our local bookstores, has uh, Mapping America. But you can also, of course, get it on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and many other uh, online resources. All right, Jean-Pierre, we appreciate it. And thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. And, you know, my guest today is going to talk about CTE. And I'm excited to welcome the program we've had him on before, Dr. Charles Simcovich. Uh, Dr. Charles, how are you? And CTE is the thing they bring up all the time with concussions, right? This is everyone's concern about CTE based on the movie Concussion and all
3: these different things, right? Right. So the CTE... Uh, actually stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. And uh, there's there's kind of all over the place as far as research goes with CTE, but the leading the research is Boston University. They actually have a lab there where they're uh, uh, acquiring brains of retired NFL players. The problem with CTE on diagnosis is you can't diagnose it until somebody's passed away because uh, it's done on autopsy. So there's no testing for a live person that will definitively test for CTE. Uh, we do know that it's uh, the uh, difficulty in removing waste products in the brain called tau proteins that cause a CTE. Uh, and and to understand that, you, ought to, you need to understand what the glymphatic system is in the brain. The glymphatic system is the waste removal system of the brain. And this was... Uh, uh, a lot of the discovery was done by a doctor Nettergaard, who's a doctor in rochester new york essentially the there's a fluid that bays the brain called a cerebrospinal fluid and it goes around the brain and it collects all the waste that the neurons dump and the neurons produce a lot of waste products as you wouldn't one would expect in brain function and there's a covering of the brain called the uh, meninges and there's three layers to the meninges the dura mater arachnoid mater and pia mater in the subarachnoid space between the arachnoid mater and the pia mater, there are arteries that carry blood into that space. Astrocytes, which are glial cells, they're in the brain with neurons, actually have end feet that wrap around the arteries in the subarachnoid space, and they create what's called a para space, which houses the CSF or cerebrospinal fluid. This gets pumped through what's called aquaporin-4, which are naturally occurring pores in the astrocytes into the brain tissue, where the brain, the glymphatic system then cleans the waste products out from the brain. One of them being tau proteins, which is what causes CTE. Now the interesting thing, you can make the connection because Dr. Nettergaard has done further research that she stated that the glymphatic system function which is the waste removal system of the brain slows down and almost comes to a stop after concussion. So it only, even without having a definitive diagnosis on a live person, you can understand that come to the conclusion that after multiple concussions or small blows to the brain, that this glymphatic system process slows down and and is impaired so that the tau proteins aren't getting removed, which can lead to CTE if uh, untreated. So that's a big discovery and it kind of explains it. Uh, I don't know what direction everybody's going in now to find a test for CTE, but I think it's not going to change any of the treatment aspects because we know how to treat to stabilize cranial bone movements, stabilize blood flow and stabilize CTE, uh, I'm sorry, CSF flow and, uh, and all the other dynamics around concussion which is a traumatic injury. So um, I hope that answers your question.
0: No, it definitely does. And so, and so when you look at those things, are there signs that you can see that they're potentially a CTE problem?
3: Well, the, not- the CTE can be multiple things because the deterioration of the brain, you you, you know, one never knows how the brain's going to deteriorate, Deteriorate. It, it can affect different things in different people. Uh, some people get a brain fog, some have severe depression. Some just start doing crazy things uh, like Mike Webster was sleeping in his car. Um, Chris Henry, who never had a diagnosed uh, concussion during his career. You remember him? He played for WVU yeah. and the Bengals. Uh, he was killed. He had an argument with his fiancee, jumped in the bed of the pickup truck and she pulled out and he fell out and died. Well, no no reported concussions when they did his autopsy. He was full of CTE. And that goes oh. back to the assumption that Multiple smaller blows to the head can cause CTE. Now, this this man probably played football since he was young and who knows how many other uh, head injuries he's had as well. Uh, You know, they have also there was a Canadian study where a a non-athlete was found with CTE and he had no reported concussions as well. So uh, there's still a lot of questions we need to answer as far as CTE. Junior "Oh, his behaviors became uh, erratic and he committed suicide on autopsy. He had CTE. So, um, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions as far as CTE. Uh, If you go by um, cause and effect, in other words, a patient comes in, I identify different cranial faults. Uh, We know that they contribute to eye-tracking problems, or decreased blood flow to the midbrain, which we know is going to cause short-term memory problems. And through treatment and restoration of the normal movement of the cranial bones, these symptoms go away, these symptoms. So you can assume that hopefully, um, you know, that the waste removal system of the glymphatic system is being corrected or enhanced right. so that the waste gets removed. We, we just have a, a young girl from North Carolina who had a 60 second memory for five years wow. and her memory is restored and and uh and uh on exam we felt that she obviously had a glimpse glymphatic system or waste removal system her uh, was malfunctioning and and uh they just did a big story on her in North Carolina uh that her memory's back uh which is amazing because this girl, her parents took her to 70 doctors over the last five years. And several of these doctors actually told the parents to put her in an asylum and walk away. And here she is, her memory's back. She, she actually just left my office uh, this morning. Uh, She was in for a checkup. And I mean, it's really nice to see a 19 year old. She's actually going to go take her driver's test next week was, was something she could never do before. Oh, wow.
0: So those are things and do, and that's why you can see the recovery happen. So what do you think is going to happen with CTE in in a way when people are all concerned about concussions leading to CTE when really we're seeing through the studies that a lot of people have not had concussions? It's more multiple blows to the head damaging the brain, but yet never a diagnosed concussion or potential concussion. Where do you see things with CTE moving forward?
3: Well, I think it's becoming quite clear that uh, there are certain symptoms and behaviors that are associated with... People after they pass away who have CTE, and a lot of people who are still alive have same these same these symptoms. So uh, you you make the connection that it's from obviously head injuries, and uh, the only way that I'm aware of that that you can actually stop the progression and remediate and rehabilitate the patient is through cranial movement therapy, which is what we do. There's a lot of different specialties out there who look at concussions. But this goes back to the father of orthopedic medicine, Dr. Syriax, who was from England. He, he made the statement, and I, I agree with him, it's 100% accurate, is in order to treat a traumatic injury, which concussion is a traumatic injury, you need to treat the source of the injury. And that's basically, that's essentially what we do. We treat the source. The brain has been injured. The cranial bone movement is compromised and aberrant or abnormal we restore this normal movement and we give the, the brain this best chance to stabilize and, and heal. Uh, other specialists in concussion really just aren't achieving that because they're not treating the trauma or the injured site.
0: Right. So the source of the injury is the key component. It sounds like in CTE. So let's, let me ask the blankets Not If you, we could diagnose CTE today, could you, change those effects and, and help uh, CTE people. If let's say we were able to diagnose CTE, would you be able to turn the clock back with CTE with your certain, your techniques and stuff? Uh, like you do the the- Theor-
3: Theoretically uh, the answer would be yes, because our work kicks on the glymphatic system. And, uh, and, and proof of that is the glymphatic system works when you're sleeping. When you're sleeping, your neurons in your brain shrink 60% smaller and the brain's filled with interstitial fluid, which suspends this waste. So this is where we had initial discussions when I started working with the NHL Alumni Association with Dr. Kassam. He was very intrigued by this because the patients that I treat the first few days in my office, they take a lot of naps and sleep very deeply, including... Uh, people who had insomnia, they start sleeping. So uh, that is uh, pointing to the fact that they're sleeping. We know the lymphatic system works when you're sleeping. A lot of patients who have in, uh, concussion don't sleep; they have insomnia, and which no, you know the the lymphatic system function is really not working and removing yeah. the waste. Uh, and the tau proteins being a part of that, which caused CTE. So yeah, proof, uh, a good sign that we're helping these people is usually the first two days when they're going through the the process, uh, they take a lot of heavy naps and sleep for a long time and it's a deep sleep.
0: So in your opinion, will there ever be a way to diagnose CTE with the researcher conducting and
3: other research out there? While the patient's alive, you're talking about, yeah, yeah, I, I would think so. We're making the, the, advances we've made in, in concussion treatment and diagnosis, and rehab. Just since I've been doing this, uh, for over thirty years, is, is, it's, it's gaining momentum and it's actually starting to get more traction and go faster and faster. The more we learn, which makes sense. Uh, when I think about what we know today compared to when we started doing this research, it's just mind-boggling. I thought I knew a lot in 1986 and 1990, and, and compared to now, it's it's really not. All right. What
0: great information. I think the final thing in this topic of CTE is when people come with it, you have CTE telling these people, NFL players with concussions. The best step is to get treated to see what's running so that they can like slow down if there is going to be CTE and be able to kind of recover as you talked about the little girl from North Carolina, how you've been able to do these things. So that that call to action of people who are concerned, I've had multiple concussions, I'm concerned I might have CTE, they need to call you, right?
3: Right, and, and uh, a lot of times the patient doesn't even realize they're deteriorating, but their loved ones around them See, I mean, a lot of times I'll examine a patient, examine a patient, and, and you know they're they're saying, well, you know, I don't really see a problem, but their spouse or their parent is sitting behind them, shaking their head, saying, uh, yes, they are having these problems. But you're not aware of them. A lot of times you're not aware of deficits when you're in the middle, when you're down that rabbit hole. For example, mm-hmm. I had a fellow from Pittsburgh who came off his motorcycle, and his helmet saved his life, but he still uh, was in a coma for two weeks. Right. And after he uh, went through the treat, after he healed, he came into the office. The third day, he told me, he said, listen, my color vision is back and it's vibrant. And I told him, I said, you you never told me your color vision was gone. And he said he never knew it was gone until it came back, which it, it makes sense because you don't, as things deteriorate, you don't realize you're losing. It's the same as when I was a kid and I needed glasses. I had no idea. I couldn't see the chalkboard in school till they put the corrective lenses. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's yeah. what it's supposed to look like. So a lot of times when things are deteriorating, you're not aware of it. And, uh, you know, the exam just tells me everything. All right. All right.
0: The best place to find
3: information on you, where, where should we go? Uh, com.
0: All right. Thank you, Dr. Charles. Look forward to having you on again. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. Also, the media giant effect, and I'm excited to welcome to the show a guest that we've had on many different times, talking about BHRT. She's the founder of BHRT Training Academy and also the author of The Hormone Makeover, Donna White. Donna, thanks for stopping by to educate my audience again.
4: Hi, Neil. Love being with you and your audience.
0: Absolutely. We were talking off air, and you talked about specific talking thought process, when we talk about specifically numbers out there regarding menopause, I was absolutely blown away. Can you tell me about that?
4: The prevalence is amazing. In fact, Neil, there's over 1 million women enter menopause every year in the US. That's a lot of hormone women. In fact, by the year 2030, the number of women in menopause or perimenopause is expected to reach 1.2 billion. These women need information and they need help.
0: And it's because, again, we're looking at specifically age demographics of 50 and older and how they're going to be a gigantic large part of the population in the United States, and that's regarding men as well. And What are women telling you about their struggles and why they're it? They read your book you know, they learned about your story, you tell them your story, you tell them how old you are, and they say, really? And then you tell them what you've done. And what? how does that change them to start to ask questions? And what kind of questions are you hearing?
4: I hear women, they want real information. In fact, Neil, let me tell you what women don't want. They don't want to have to go to Dr. Google to get help. They don't want to be pacified with a script for conventional HRT or a sleeping pill or antidepressant just to get through menopause. They want real answers and they want their doctors trained in how to prescribe bioidentical hormones.
0: And that's the key. because every doctor could be doing this. Do you see that potentially happening at one point that the traditional doctors are all going to move over to BHRT at one point?
4: I would love to see BHRT stand. I would love to see BHRT as standard of care in this country because there's so much... Scientific data that supports the use of bioidentical hormones, and it's really time that our practitioners learn and understand and implement this data, this these decades of research that we have that support this modality.
0: Right, and it's going to be all about education. There was a conversation I had with someone on my show that does BHRT as a doctor, and said that it's very hard to educate women and men about how important it is to consider this. Kind of tell us the what changes and how it changed your life.
4: Well, BHRT totally changed myself. Um, as you might know, Neil, I've been on bioidentical hormones for 30 years. I'll be 60 in two weeks. And so, yes, I'm a, a hormone antique, if you will. And hormone therapy, when you balance a woman's hormones with the use of biologically identical or bioidentical hormones, you change their lives. You get rid of symptoms, symptoms, and you help protect them from diseases associated with aging.
0: Wow, that's powerful. And you're definitely helping them. And what things were you going through when you decided to identify yourself that you were having these issues and found out from somebody and decided to start doing BHRT yourself?
4: The symptoms I had 30 years ago was a severe case of PMS. I wanted to rip somebody's head off once a month. My skin looked like I was a teenager with acne on it. I had hormonal headaches and a number of other premenstrual symptoms. And thank God I figured out that it was all due to hormones and it could be helped. Since my early days, back in my 30s of of PMS, I've gone through perimenopause, menopause. I've had thyroid hormone imbalance, stress hormone imbalance. And let me tell you, there is a solution to these symptoms, to these hormone issues, and uh, several solutions that don't involve medications, that involve bioidentical hormones, lifestyle, dietary changes, and supplement protocols. It can be done and you can feel great again.
0: You definitely can. And, and the stories are amazing uh, for sure. What changes right after you started to, to take the therapy did you see? Like, like were yours, was it overnight or it takes time? How kind of explain that to people? Because that's the other thing. When people are considering this, what is this process? How does it work?
4: When a woman starts balancing her hormones with the use of bioidentical hormones and the right supplements and dietary changes and lifestyle changes, here's what she can notice better sleep, improved mood, maintaining weight better, improvement in skin, less pain and and joint pain and, and aches, Energy and all of these things. Think about it; it that that those are life changing. If you sleep better, that affects everything. If your mood and energy are better, that affects your your relationships, your ability to perform at work. So, yes, these symptoms are are addressable with the right protocols and the right therapies, and life changing.
0: Sounds like it for sure. Life changing, and so it's a process. You have the once you start seeing the progress. You need to change other things in your life as well it's just like kind of like you go ahead and start to lose weight you're going to have to start working out because it's yes you could figure it out by eating less but it's not going to be it's lifestyle changes and those lifestyle changes happen once you do something like this right not just the hormone the bhrt you have to make other lifestyle changes as well right
4: When it comes to weight management, you have to look at your hormones because hormones directly impact metabolism. So you can be doing everything right, perfect diet, working out. But if your hormones are out of balance, you just don't get the results that you're working so hard to get. Want me to tell you which hormones cause weight problems or inability to lose weight? Here they are. High estrogen, low estrogen. High progesterone, low progesterone. High testosterone is associated with weight gain. So is low testosterone. High cortisol, stress hormone cortisol, low cortisol, and thyroid issues. It's just too easy to gain weight. So we need to get these hormones in balance.
0: And men, too, can get this help. And and have you noticed that a lot of men are not as open as women to this therapy at this point? it's starting it, it starting to shift a little bit, but still lots of men to talk health with them. It's hard. It's hard to get some men to go to the doctor like myself at times, but for to, to improve healthy-wise, is it a little bit more of a challenge? What do you, you, you've seen in your you know research and what you've been seeing out there talking to lots of medical professionals?
4: What providers are seeing right now is that there's more and more interest on behalf of men to get help more and more men are going to their practitioners asking to have their testosterone levels checked. And it's so important that they do so. Here's why it's important to get your testosterone measured if you are a man. Because once you turn 30, testosterone starts declining about 1% to 1.5% every year. So that by the time a man is 60, he might only be making 40% of the testosterone he was making in his 20s. Why do we let that testosterone fall? It's not necessary. Maintaining testosterone levels and optimal testosterone levels is critical to men's health. It helps protect their heart, cognitive function, muscle mass, helps um, offset metabolic issues. It's just so important to keep your testosterone level at a good, healthy level as you age if you're a man.
0: And then it's not just that for men. Hormones, other hormones, they need to be checking that are gonna help as well in their overall health and development, right?
4: When we're looking at hormones, it's so important to look beyond ovarian or testicular hormones. That's estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. You really need to be looking at stress hormones, cortisol, DHEA, thyroid hormones, and insulin as well. It's just so important to get the big picture And look at all of these hormones because they work together or they oppose. So look at all seven key hormones.
0: And one that you think is only in women is in men as well, right? That one's a surprise I was reading up on because you've been having me do do this by learning more and more. Which one is that, you know, is really primarily they think is in women that are also in men.
4: So what's interesting is that women do need a little bit of testosterone. Some women don't realize that men have estrogen as well. But the issue is men do not need an elevated level of estrogen. That's why that hormone needs to be checked and managed in men because it can be optimized as well
0: elevated so interesting so you don't want elevated estrogen so you're explaining Not something if you're a that man. literally i saw in a linkedin post and that's why i'm asking you now and that was i was like what and i'm like that's interesting i heard that before but there was no explanation because you think oh well you want more estrogen we sure as heck don't want as men want more estrogen what leads to that have you heard from the what leads to get men getting higher estrogen
4: So as men age, their testosterone starts declining, but their estrogen can start going up and that can happen with uh, weight gain. So if men start putting on a little abdominal weight, well, um, the, the abdominal weight that causes more of your testosterone to get converted to estrogen and we don't want that to happen. Too much estrogen in a man blocks the effects of the testosterone. Too much estrogen in men is has a negative impact on the prostate. So, too much estrogen in men is not a good thing.
0: And you talk about the foods that have hormones in them and or not to have hormones in them. So, part of the process is the discussion about dieting and living a healthy lifestyle once you go through BHRT, right? And that's in your book, I'm sure. And that these specific ways of eating healthy, sleeping, doing, starting to practice, if you're investing in your health, you need to invest in what you do on a daily basis and routine, right?
4: Absolutely. You need to be paying attention to diet and the right supplements and your stress hormone levels and the factors that can increase our stress hormone levels, because if your cortisol, the stress hormone is elevated, that will affect all of the other hormones and block them from working at the hormonal receptor level. So monitoring and looking after stress hormones is absolutely critical to get your hormones in balance.
0: So where is the best place people can find information on you about BHRT Training Academy? And also, then people also have to look at when the hormone makeover second edition comes out and that comes out in 2023, which we're really excited about. You'll be announcing that soon and maybe even a podcast soon. So we're looking forward to all these different information. Well, where can we go?
4: We have to get this information out. So I'm so excited to be a part of this. For providers that need training, go to the bhrttrainingacademy.com. We will help you learn to manage your patients and implement bioidentical hormone replacement therapy into your practice and testosterone replacement therapy. If you are a patient looking to learn more about hormones, yes, I have my book will be coming out next year, The Hormone Makeover. You can find us on social media at the hormone makeover, and we will be announcing that pre-sale launch very soon.
0: And be ready, Donna White on Instagram, Twitter, and soon TikTok. So be ready. If and, and you never know what 2023 and Beyond is going to do because Donna you're bringing that great information so thanks for stopping by
4: absolutely we are going to help people feel better and equip their providers to help them
0: all right you're listening and watching the Neil Haley show and we'll be back in just a moment Hi everyone and welcome to strategic wealth strategies with our host Alan Porter Alan how are you as as, as I con- constantly say if I'm going to refer somebody, from what I've learned in this experience, especially coming on the Neil Haley Show and also your podcast, I've said, you know what, you are the guy when it comes to understanding how to have a tax-free retirement. Because unless, and if not, you're going to be rolling the dice. And also, people don't have the time or effort to deal with risk like that. Wouldn't you rather have the reward? Because if you go one route, you could really screw things up. If you go another route where you don't do it at all, it's really detrimental and you teach them to plan too. Because I think Alan, the situation is we don't plan ahead for what's going to happen when we get older. We don't plan ahead that one of us could be in disability. We don't plan ahead that one of us might need extra money down the line based on something that happens in the economy. And working with someone like you, you provide those different things throughout. I guess when you start, saving, able to save money, you need to contact Alan Porter, but kind of Alan, am I right on what I'm talking about?
1: Well, no, you're exactly right. People fail to plan. And if you have a plan, improve on it. But just like I ask people, especially business owners, what's your exit plan? And they asked me, well, what do you mean? I said, how do you plan to exit your business? Would you rather have a tax deduction instead of paying capital gains tax? Well, of course they want the tax deduction. Well, it's all a matter of education. The things I wanna talk about today are uh, things that are affecting our nation greatly. And the number one, the only problem I see in our nation right now is consumer debt. Uh, I, you know, I, I do tax-free retirement plans for people. Um, I do other things, guaranteed income for life, but if they don't have their debt paid off, you know, they're compounding interest for someone else, the financial institutions, not for themselves. And I had a gentleman, and I, I think I've mentioned this before in one of my other uh, podcasts. He's retired military, uh, retired from 42 years old, and I told him about the tax free retirement plan. He said, "Yeah, I want to, uh, I want to do that." But then he called me up a couple of years ago. He said, "Alan, I can't do it right now because I got a new job. I was going to pay for the for the, my tax free retirement plan uh, out of this new job. I don't know how how COVID's going to affect it." So I said, "Okay, well, what kind of debt do you have?" And he says, Alan, he just, you know, I got house payment. I just got my mortgage a couple months ago. And I said, what's the interest rate? He said, 2.75. I said, uh, what's your effective interest rate? He said, Alan, what are you talking about? I said, well, don't feel lonely because 99% of the people I talk to, to include CPAs, attorneys, and financial planners, have no idea what the effective interest rate is. But I want you to fill this form out, send it back to me. And we're going to do a Zoom conference. I'm going to show you something. So I'm gonna share my screen.
0: Okay, and effective interest rate. And I, ha- I have I've not learned so much from you. And I keep I think you taught this at the beginning of the process when right. we started working together.
1: Right. But the effective interest rate, I asked him, I said, and he told me, of course, you know, 2.75 in his mortgage. Now I want you to take a close, close look at this. This is all the bills he had: one, mm-hmm. two, three, four, five, six, seven he has a 2.75% interest rate on his mortgage. And I said, you got $461,000 in debt and your interest rates average 4.76%. But that's not your problem. Here's your problem. That 2.75 is 49.76% effective interest rate. The first thing he says to me, Alan, how is that possible? I said, because it's not going to get down to the 2.75 until the last few months of your mortgage. I said, where on earth are you gonna get a financial vehicle in your 401k or any other financial plan that a stockbroker has for you that's gonna get a 46.2%, 23% return on your investment? There is none. None. So I said, let's get this debt paid off. You're only 42 years old and we can do this later. So I said, how long was it gonna take you to do your plan uh, that you had? it, kind of like the Dave Ramsey plan, uh, you know, the snowball effect. But he said, I had it around 22 years. Now, I'm not doing the pre-complete snowball effect because it'll pay it off a little bit faster. But I said, let me ask you a question. How would you like to have your, your all your bills paid off in a little over 10 years? He says, oh, my God. And he's looking down, and he's, and he's smiling. I can tell he's a big black gentleman, a good friend of mine. He's huge. I mean, he's nearly got a bald head just like you. <laughs> and he looks up and I could tell he's, but he's smiling ear to ear and big tears come down his face. And he says, Alan, you've made a dream of mine come true. I can be debt free, completely debt free. Wow. Uh, my house paid off. Everything. Everything's done. When I'm 52 years old, I never thought this was possible. I said, well, understand. Here's something I want you to understand. Okay? Right now, you have a current total balance of $461,103 your interest is $180,264. If you do what you're doing, you'll have everything paid off in August of 2046. But if you do it my way, you'll have everything paid off in June 2032. 14.17 years faster, saving you $73,528 in interest. But that's not all, Neil. That's crazy. There's many benefits that go along with this. See, when I tell people, you need to pay yourself instead of the financial institution. Right. Because you know, well, Dave Ramsey has a snowball effect. You pay, let's say you have a credit card, a student loan and a car. Well, let's say that you have $500 extra to pay each month on these bills. Well, what you do with Dave Ramsey, and you pay him like $3,500 to get his program. I don't know why people do that. And I understand Dave Ramsey, I agree with 50% of what he says. Right. But the other stuff is very detrimental. I don't think he's licensed in anything. He cannot be a fiduciary promoting this. But this is what he says. You take that $500, add it to the minimum payment of that credit card. Once that credit card's paid off, you take the $500 plus payment on the credit card and add it to the minimum payment on your uh, student loan. Next thing, yeah. And then the next one goes down to the car loan. Well, you pay it off, and you'll pay it off a little bit sooner. But there's nothing left after that. And he wants
0: you to reduce your lifestyle and everything else. I don't want you to reduce your lifestyle, but I want to protect Who the heck is going to reduce their lifestyle to, okay, you're going to have a broken down car. You're going to have this different things like this so that you can be stressed out in other ways that you're going to cost in healthcare and stuff. So that's the way Dave Ramsey teaches it where, you know what, you have a significant other or you are basically trying to, live and enjoy the hard work you've done you don't live and enjoy anything and he thinks at one point you will but ultimately you're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a long time of living like you're really poverty stricken
1: exactly but i mean this this can work for anybody and that that qualifies for it but what i do is i set up a specially an sdic which i call a specially designed insurance contract and instead of putting that money Compounding for the financial institutions, I take that $500 a month. In his case, it was $1,000 a month for 10 years. Now, immediately, he has a death benefit that's completely tax-free for his beneficiaries if he would passed away. And it put, I think the 13th year, he has almost $400,000 in death benefit that he can use for long-term care. 90% of that is tax-free. And I know how important this is because my daughter-in-law died at age 39 of pancreatic cancer. And if it had not been for the terminal illness rider on her insurance policy, my son would be bankrupt. And it took a huge financial strain off of me. And this is why I'm doing what I do. This is why I'm so passionate, because people need to know this stuff. This stuff should be caught in high school. With this particular scenario, I'm showing how you can compound interest for yourself and not the financial institution. And as, as Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. People who understand it will benefit from it, and people who don't are going to pay it. And 99% of people in the United States are paying it. But I want I want you to look at this. I go down, it's a software program. Right. I'm, I'm part of the smart advisor group. And it shows it, when everything's going to be paid off. And when that cash value and that life insurance policy gets up to a certain point, you're going to get a text on your phone take a loan out from your insurance policy that's crazy take that credit card off and then pay don't go to the to the student loan and pay that off take that money and put it back pay yourself back yeah in the cash value that's what people don't understand but look at this everything's paid off but here's something else people don't understand you save seventy three thousand five hundred twenty eight dollars in interest right. But your cash value, understand this, your cash value is $130,744, and you have a, almost a $400,000 death benefit. You know, you pay pennies on a dollar in life insurance policies for hundreds of thousands of dollars in protection. And people, they, they don't understand, excuse me, they don't understand the, the guarantees of life insurance. Life insurance companies are the highest regulated industry in the world today, bar none. Right. They've got to have 100% in their general account plus a 4 to 8% surplus. The, the companies I work with, I'm an independent, they all have over 100% surplus. And banks, I think they have to have like a 10 to 25% surplus. Understand this. Let's say it's, that's a 10% or 25% in millions of dollars. They have 10 to 25 million dollars, but they can loan out $100 million. They're over leveraged. And that's why we're 500 banks and many stock. Stock portfolio companies
0: have gone bankrupt. They right. this. I deficit. have a question for you, Alan. Yes, sir. This is something people might not understand. Okay, you're paying towards this life insurance policy, and then you there's a credit card thing. There are a, a, a thing you have on the computer saying, okay, it's now it's time to pay off a certain loan because you've saved the money to pay off that loan, or paid right. off that car, or paid off that mortgage. Do you have any fees to take that money out of the life insurance policy? No. That's crazy. No. Wow.
1: No no be. I mean, that money's yours. Okay? That money is yours. And I show people how to do this all the time. I've taken loans out of my life insurance, cash value life insurance policy. And you you know, there's a thing, Neil. You don't have to pay it back if you don't want to. It's just taking off the death benefit. Now you have to pay interest. But I got another strategy as an example. You've got Uh, a million dollars in stock portfolio. I went over this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. At a 4% distribution rate, that's $40,000 a year. That's got a uh, 25 to 35% chance of failure up to age 90. And that will only give you approximately, oh, let's do it this way. Let's have that stock portfolio have a 6% gain every year for five years net of fees. So never a loss. So if it's it's... If it's 1% fee, they have to average 7% over those five years. You'll have approximately $1,338,000 in your stock portfolio. At a 4% distribution rate, around 50, I think it's 53,007 something. But if you put that money into certain fixed indexed annuities with no gain in those five years, other than the guarantees of the insurance company, guaranteed income, of 81,989 per year for the rest of your life. Wow. And you can do it for your spouse also. The income comes down about a half percent. Uh but that's guaranteed for both you and your wife or your spouse.
0: I mean people so, need to understand. so why are they people telling you to go put the money into the 401k instead on education? I mean cuz you're literally yes you will be saving that money and you will be earning money but the difference is that you can't touch that money. We all know that everyone doesn't have an emergency fund. I think that certain thing I was listening to a podcast yesterday: the ninety percent of people are not are living paycheck to paycheck in this country, and they'll have a thousand dollars of uh, of say of uh, emergency fund. You teach this as part of the emergency fund as well, having these life insurance policies, right?
1: Exactly.
0: And you know, let me show you something real
1: quick. It's a it's a short three minute video. So I'm going to stop this right now.
4: And let me bring this up.